The Psychedologist. Hello, explorers and excavators of the deepest psychic material of the consciousness. This is The Psychedologist, and I'm here with an unbelievable mashup episode for you with three interviews, brief conversations with amazing sisters that I met on the Cosmic Sister Trip down to Peru to visit the Temple of the Way of Light, a reputable plant medicine, shamanistic, Amazonian remedy center to heal you of um, everything and set you back into the world so that you can make a feeble attempt not to get screwed up again. Um, I was storing my mapacho, which is a sacred jungle tobacco, in my microphone case, and now my microphone smells like tobacco. It's lovely. It's bringing me back. I miss the forest. So the first interview that you're going to hear today is with John. John is a biochemist and ecologist with a passion for sustainable agriculture development and bees. She's been a beekeeper since she was 14 and is working to develop sustainable agriculture and agricultural practices through technology. She does work at Path Sensors and her project HiveLend. Her heart lies in entheogenic plant medicines, and she is building skills to bring conservation through technology to this world of ethnobotany and pollination. Our conversation was recorded just after the Cosmic Sister Retreat at a lovely organic vegetarian restaurant in Lima, Peru. The next interview is with Chioma. Chioma, and this was, we actually recorded the first part of this interview um, at the retreat center, and we finished it up at the airport because we found out that we were not supposed to make recordings while we were at the temple, so we're just that part, just, you know, when I said that it was at the temple, I actually meant that it wasn't at the temple. And we just said that it was, but we, um, talk about energy and yoga and bringing these sort of things to urban communities. Chioma is a Nigerian born Detroit raised massage therapist. She's a 200 plus hour yoga instructor and meditation facilitator, preventative health enthusiast, and certified pharmacy technician based in LA. As the sole proprietor of ChloeMassageSpa.com, she provides private massage, physical therapy, chakra energy balancing, yoga, and meditation sessions. She advises clients on maintaining healthy lifestyles for holistic health and wellness. She's been serving the LA area through customized therapeutic sessions for the past five years and enjoys collaborations with progressive organizations and groups centered on inclusion and social justice activism through classes, discussions, and workshops. Finally, we have a lovely Skype conversation with the mystical and amazing Sarah Baldwin. Sarah created the Herbal Healing Deck, which is this amazing intuitive card deck where each card is a different root or leaf or flower or herb that has these offerings of wisdom about its historical usage and mythical properties and uh, myth or reality, you know what I mean? Uh, As well as um, great sort of inferences about what the message or what like wisdom this herb might bring to your situation. The deck is absolutely amazing. And I loved our conversation. 
She, Sarah, is immersed in the world of herbalism, writing and teaching about the physical and spiritual benefits of healing plants. Sarah is the author of the Herbal Healing Deck, as I described. She's a blogger for Mother Earth Living, a regular contributor to Plant Healer Magazine and the Herbarium, and she has also written course material for The Herbal Alchemy. Her interests include gardening, yoga, meditation, dance, and music. I hope you enjoy this episode, and I hope that you'll consider sending some funds and really just sending some good energy in the form of funds to Cosmic Sister. If it wasn't for this organization and its fierce, fearless founder, Zoe Helena, then I think hundreds by now probably of women would not have had the benefit of going down to Peru to participate in a traditional healing experience with ayahuasca and other plant teachers. It's absolutely amazing ethics going on with Cosmic Sister. You can read more at their website, CosmicSister.com. And I bring you three amazing warrior women interviewed by yours truly, the psychedologist. Enjoy. All right, Hermana. <laughs> Welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you. We got John here. Hi. <laughs> how, how do you how do you explain yourself, John? Who are you? I am a beekeeper, biochemist, um, sustainable sustainable just came up with that one just now <laughs> just now that's like when I got the psychedologist <laughs> it works Pop. yeah well and you could even you're regenerative actually so I think you're a regenerative regenerative I like that better right have you ever heard that like agriculture is rape of the earth organic farming is consensual sex with the earth permaculture is tantric sex with the earth whoa i've never heard that i love that you like it, it makes sense right because like you know yeah. tantric sex is like building more energy yeah yeah oh that's so interesting i like that yeah but that's gonna be the focus right is talking about agriculture and where we're going and what things are happening mm-hmm. the good the bad and the ugly mm. so yeah tell us about you want to talk about be the change or something else to start um yeah, we can talk talk a little bit about um, kind of the the work I do with beekeeping. So it originally started as Be the Change um, in university. We did a project actually inspired by going to a refugee community in Myanmar that um, we realized there's not much area here. Um, there weren't a lot of opportunities once kids were out of school, um, and so what we were like thinking is we could bring beekeeping into it. Um, it's very small space needed and could help with economic development. So got the idea from there, got some support from the Resolution Fellowship, and then started that as a project in Columbus, Ohio. So we had um, 12 women we were working with throughout our first summer, and they had hives they could have, um, they adopted, they worked with the bees, built a lot of confidence, and then taught them um, entrepreneurship as well. So they could, sell the high byproducts, make soaps, honeys, work at the farmer's markets, and get supplemental income. So that was kind of the initial inspiration. Um, And now we're working with a little bit of a different iteration of that in Baltimore. So 
I think it's very feministy in beyond the obvious ways when you empower women to like bring their own money in and sell their stuff and teach them business skills because it has ripples throughout the whole family like the husbands shift that you know they're not like the sole breadwinner yeah and, yeah um, yeah it's I always try to buy goods from uh, female vendors if possible at mm-hmm. anywhere that I am mm-hmm. yeah and even more than just that um, the empowerment of being confident with bees you know, when a lot of these women that we were working with were, um, they all were low income, a couple of them were refugees. So that empowerment of, hey, these animals that people are scared of, they're small, but people are scared of them, they're powerful, was very, and is very empowering. You know, beekeeping is badass. So I don't know if you can say that. Yeah. But no, it's, it's okay to swear. Badass. <laughs> Did you hear that? Badass. <laughs> so, yeah, it's empowering in more ways than one. Cool. Yeah, I, I don't believe, I don't really feel like doing it for the show, but um, I don't believe I've ever told you my, the reason I have a bee in my tattoo. Remember on the bus that yeah. I was going to tell you? Yeah. Like, if I could just cut to the chase, there was this one time that, this one time that I was on acid and, <laughs> yeah, and ended up having bees crawling all over me. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. But I was totally calm and I just like, wow, Water I just fountain. sent them gratitude. Water fountain. Water fountain. The bees at the water fountain. The bees at the water fountain. That's the. That's what you're talking about. That's from your story. From that's what happened. The oh, the waterfall. Oh, okay. Sorry. Yes, yes. Nature's <laughs> water fountain. <laughs> yes. Oh, so, so you did hear it. Yeah. Mm. So, did you learn how to work with the bees? Yeah. So, when I was 14, I actually grew up in a community that was pretty. Um, it was a farm, so self-sustaining was the kind of the concept and goal, and nearly. Um, uh, established and so I started working with bees when I was 14 and we've been keeping bees ever since I worked with them at the insectary at Ohio State so I worked in the insectary worked with the bees there and then continued with be the change so what do you think is I don't could you share something that you learned from beekeeping or I mean you already said it's like empowering and or what was something surprising I don't know do you have a funny story yeah Oh, I've got oh, I've got too many funny stories. Okay. I'll show her one funny story and then the biggest lesson about beekeeping. Do bees have penises? You, oh, you want to go in that direction? You can go in that direction. You want to go? Yeah, okay, we'll go in that direction. Yes, they absolutely do. Um, it's actually kind of horrible because um, the way that the impregnation work. One bee, all bees are female in the hive. All worker bees. The queen is obviously female, and then the only males are drones. Their only purpose is sex course mm. worthless they just you know take me <laughs> just a dick <laughs> so during the summer um the drones will all go out into a, a bee yard um or a field somewhere and queens will go and they will mate with all of these drones typically in a forceful manner and Wait, who's forcing the males the males um, but the queen knows she's like all right i gotta have a bunch of babies so all right let's do it but the men um the males the drone bees will um mate with her then y'all go back to the hive but eventually the worker bees are like yo y'all did your job you mated with a queen we're done with you and they will literally kick them out of the hive and they Bye. Will, yep <laughs> so they're not allowed before winter so there's guys but they don't do much it's like worse than game of thrones you haven't watched not it not watched him <laughs> it's worse than game of thrones okay <laughs> <laughs> then i then I'll, then I'll watch game of thrones maybe it'll <laughs> uh Wow. Okay. All right. Very interesting. Tell us more. Other things doesn't have to be penile. Okay. Well, um, actually some interesting uses of bees I'm going to throw at you and then I'll throw a little story. Um, they are using bees in 
Africa as fences because elephants will be trampling agricultural fields and they couldn't build fences that would stop elephants. They didn't have a way to actually like block their food. Elephants would be getting and eating it or just trampling it or trying to get to the water that they would use to water their crops. So they now have bee fences. Um, it's the frequency of the bees that this elephants are sensitive to and then they they do feel the sting as well. Um, so now they're building fences. So they're, they're, they're living fences of beehives that will block um, fields and protect farmers and their agriculture from elephants. Be the fence. <laughs> That's amazing. Yep. I hate when elephants trample my shit. <laughs> oh, the frequency. That's insane. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I'm wondering if there's like other animals you can keep out with a certain frequency. You know? Absolutely. I mean, it, so like pigs, dogs, they they hear the frequency of an electric fence and they react accordingly. I mean, they do feel a sting, so there's a little bit more Pavlov's dog. I wonder then, do elephants not like the frequency of the bees because they associate it with like mm-hmm. being stung? Yeah, yeah. It, it's 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 definitely it's that they know the impacts and bees can go up their nose. Other things, you know, they've got hard leather skin, but bees can. They're little. They can. Wow, <laughs> they yeah. can be creative. Oh, that's like when. Have you seen the movie Independence Day? Yes. <laughs> Remember when he flies oh. the spaceship into the center of the mothership? That's like what the bees. <laughs> I'm so glad that made its way as a reference. Mm-hmm. Yep. This is good. All right. So yeah. tell us a good story. So this kind of light leads to you have to be calm when dealing with bees. Um, the. Um, two stories but one is about swarming so bees when yeah when bees um are the hive is getting too small for all the bees that are in it there's too many workers they will swarm which means um that they're just leaving half the hive is leaving typically taking a queen the the hive left behind will um, have a new queen if they divide correctly or it'll just be the whole swarm looking for a new home so you get you hear the hive getting a little restless you know you got to check on them frequently but what happens is they will then all swarm and go into a tree nearby while other bees go and look for better homes um so this has happened to me a couple of times but the most adventurous one was my bees this was i was 15 years old so my bees flew up into this tree and there's a couple short trees over the hives but this one they decided to go into the highest tree so it's 25 feet off the ground and it's a basketball size of bees and the only way to get them is to either pan for the bees which is like hitting two metal pieces together and like draw them into a box doesn't always work or literally grab them put them in a box and then put them back in a new hive or divide them you could use a bee vacuum but that doesn't always work <laughs> so I climb up on this ladder I'm on my ladder at tippy toes and I have wait is this because your parents were like fuck you Don <laughs> they're my bees I'm not letting them run away <laughs> no my parents love me my mom would have been livid I was homeschooled she wasn't home <laughs> um, so I have this I have a box in one hand my other hand is holding this branch and I'm shaking the bees I have a I have a, a mask on, you know, they're, they're, but I'm shaking the bees and I lose my footing. So I'm holding on, like the ladder falls and my sister's like trying to pick it up. <laughs> okay, the ladder falls, sorry. And I'm holding onto the branch by one hand, a box in the other hand, and the bees, thankfully, they come loose and fall into the box right as my sister gets <laughs> the um, ladder back up. 
so I'm standing on them. But my um, hood wasn't fully tied, so a bunch of them get in and just start stinging my face. I slam the lid on the box, climb down the ladder, but it was a little too late. So have you ever seen fun with Dick and Jane? <laughs> so my face looked like hers after she did all of the cosmetic experiments. <laughs> bulbous. My face was bulbous. It was beautiful. I have a great picture. <laughs> so that lesson and the biggest thing from keeping bees is staying calm. You know, you can actually work with bees without gloves. A lot of people do work with them without a mask. It's that calmness. Like, they do actually smell fear. They also smell your, your hormones and pheromones. They know their mom or, or dad. Um, but the biggest thing is just being calm. You know, that sense of energy. They feel it. They can read that, and they'll react accordingly. So, And the way they react is the smell of banana peel, that means you're screwed. So if you smell banana peels, like overripe banana peels, that's their pheromone saying, get this bitch out. I actually never realized how much I love talking about bees until now. <laughs> I heard Harvard was creating little like bee um, robots to pollinate plants because they heard about the like, extinction, depending extinction of bees. And I was like, oh, you know what? That is so smart. Something's going to go extinct. Let's just build a robot, an electronic version of it to do the job for it instead of looking at why it's going extinct. Oh, my goodness. Oh my goodness, that's really funny. There's actually a big project that um, was funded by the uh, largest almond growers for something similar. Not for a robotic bee, though. They're like, hey, wait, this is an Italian bee. This isn't, or, you know, the, the bees we use typically are European, Italian, Russian. And they're like, aren't there ones that are they're local that are better at this? And there are. In fact, the blue bee is a local or native to the North American continent. It does the job way better. But unfortunately, we can't grow them by the thousands. It's a lot harder. So they dropped that project. Um, but fun facts, blue bees, they're where it's at. So there's um, a need for like, these massive amounts of bees because it's huge farms, right? Yeah, yeah. So that's actually kind of ties into what um, a project I work on now, Hivelend. Um, and the idea is sustainable pollination. So matching uh, mid-sized level farmers and... Um, sideline beekeepers so you have a lot of sideliners they don't do pollination full-time or commercial beekeeping but they need to connect with farmers just as much and the farmers need them so our current means of agriculture is you have large fields of either apple trees almond trees almonds the biggest industry and they need pollination um, so having those beekeepers there it's a big industry but then another thing that feeds into that as well is you can get increased crop yield. So when you have pollinators, you're bringing in pollinators, like let's say cotton, for example. Cotton doesn't require them to hire beekeepers or bring beekeepers in, but you can get a 30% crop yield increase when you do use pollinators. So when you bring more in, and that means you don't have to use as many pesticides, you don't have to use as many chemical fertilizers because you're naturally using what's already there to increase crop yield. It's kind oh. of like companion planting with fungus. Exactly. Mistropharia increases the crop yield and you're going to come through it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Symbios, it's like nature knew what it was doing. Almost. <laughs> yeah. I like the restaurant background noises. Yeah. When... It's good. I know. I did another interview in Costa Rica. All you can hear is cicadas, and it's really nice. That's awesome. So, what do you think? Like, oh, okay. This is a question. What uh, is your consciousness hack? What do you do to 
connect with yourself or to like center your yourself or, or alter your consciousness like what's your hmm. hmm that's an interesting question I like that um I also really like this music um consciousness game or centering consciousness I think those are really big questions I definitely think like going for a run getting into that space like you know mile three when you get in there and you're like in that space of just like I'm exhausted my physical body is worn out my brain can't think anymore about work and I'm just in a focus zone a spot of just like okay here is that that release of endorphin serotonin it just is like helps breathe because I don't think we breathe and I don't breathe enough day to day <laughs> totally. Um, I actually had a really good vision today outside when I was collecting myself. Um, I did a few yoga poses mm-hmm. and I was like envisioning that when I breathe during them, I was inflating myself so I could fully be in the pose. Like, huh. when you like you inflate a balloon and it like actually becomes its shape. It stays. Yeah. Like becoming the shape of the pose. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I love that. This is something I often ask you about later at some point, but the seeking like mount higher air and like mountains and mountain tops and like how much that hypoxia affected human brains and like I mean you think about like Moses going up to the mountain top, you think of these like people in holy like perspectives or saints would seek wisdom from God at a mountaintop. Is that because of hypoxia? And like, you know, because then you're in a one of the things they trained us for in, in pilot school is um, hypoxia. So they'll they'll put you in continuously in lower oxygen environments because you need to be able to still focus. And you'll often go in, it'll just be that same kind of sensation of being high or, you know, your brain is just not fully there. Lack of oxygen, so. Totally, I felt that. Um, I felt that at high altitudes. It's almost like when you're really hungry and you're mm-hmm. like, I can't, I don't work. Mm-hmm. You know, my friends are scuba divers and they talked about that the um, training you do Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Really mm-hmm. So I just go get high by getting less air. <laughs> As we say, coming back from the jungle. <laughs> As you were. <laughs> As you were. I mean, the only thing I was going to ask is your how you do the consciousness and recenter yourself. But my consciousness hack. Mm-hmm. Uh, the protein is here. <laughs> We're at this awesome restaurant in Barranco. Wow. With very Rico food coming. Um, I guess I... What have I been doing lately? Well, inflating my body Mm -hmm. in yoga poses. (laughs) I do think that mapacho is a cool consciousness hack for me now. Um, Just like the concept of like taking it into my mouth and like blessing my body with it, like smudging my body almost. Mm -hmm. I smudge Mm -hmm. Palo Santo, Sage, Copal. Mm -hmm. Um, And I really like to do a stream of consciousness with my partner and just like one of my partners, Maddie, and just tell him like whatever's on my mind. Yeah, Yeah. I actually, I do that with Gwen too. Uh, Anyone who will listen really, just someone next to me on the bus, just like blah, blah, blah. Yeah, that's a really healthy way to keep your mind centered and to just be in the moment and like, not try and throw things or throw your mind different directions and oh I have to bring back myself back to work or this or that just like okay I am here now my mind goes and then so yeah you like and getting it out sometimes really changes the structure of it yeah. like you can actually make more sense of it or I don't know starts the process anyway yeah yeah absolutely hmm. alright well uh, aprovecho buen aprovecho buen aprovecho gracias Disfruta.
It's remarkably quiet right now for the middle of the Amazon, because that is literally where we are. But I am in the jungle here with Chioma at Cosmic Sisters Retreat to Temple of the Way of Light. We're on day, what is it, day three now or something? Yep, day three. Time's melting with all the ayahuasca we've been drinking <laughs> all day. What day is it? <laughs> <laughs> is it night? Right. <laughs> we have another ceremony tonight, but I was able to grab a little bit of her time to talk about some cool stuff that she's working on with meditation and yoga and mindfulness. So will you tell us about yourself, Chioma? Well, hello, everyone. I'm Chioma Nuwasu. I am originally from Nigeria, but I reside in Los Angeles currently, and I am all things stress relief. I am a certified massage therapist specializing in stretch therapy. I am a yoga instructor and a meditation facilitator. Um, what else would you like to know? <laughs> tell. I really like the... Um, live streams that you've been doing talk about like what's the point of those what is that all about what are you trying to get out to people oh okay well i i do live broadcasts on facebook for an organized organization called Yoga and Body Image Coalition. And the crux of the organization is body positivity and diversity in yoga, which we are still trying to acquire um, yoga has taken on a typically white, typically um, affluent mm-hmm. um, face in, in the Western culture. And a lot of people who really do need uh, yoga and um, meditation as modalities for stress relief and life balance don't have access to it. And so the Yoga Body and Image Coalition um, seeks to do just that, to bring it to them and uh very accessible way um, and also to bring other yogis um, into the forefront and say that this is what a yogi looks like and they do have a hashtag hashtag what a yogi looks like is the movement and so um, I'm part of that and my live broadcasts on Friday um, just I break down yoga and meditation in layman's terms. I mean, I may throw Sanskrit here and there, but that is not the foundation of any of my um my sequences. That's not, you know, I don't talk about Hindu idols when I talk about meditation because that alienates certain people and it makes them feel like they can't take part um, in that modality. So I try to break it down. And um, that's kind of why I am the, you know, the urban samadhi. (laughs) Um, I, I want people to know that yoga is for them and they can take part in this too, that they don't have to do those things, you know, speak Sanskrit or have, you know, any type of association with a Hindu idol to be a part of the movement. Were you, were you always into yoga? What, what brought you to this world? Well, um, I'm a former dancer, um, ballet, modern jazz, and yoga was always part of our conditioning. And so I've been doing yoga um, since I was a child, but we didn't call it yoga when I was a child. It was just conditioning class. Mm-hmm. And so um, as I got older, I found out about this is yoga. Like I went to my first yoga class and it was like, oh, this is what I've been doing. Um, And so it's just my body loves to move that way. And so I just continued. I started off with a um, work study at Bikram Yoga Studios in Los Angeles. And Mm. I segued into um, actually getting my Hatha certification with a phenomenal organization, Green Tree Yoga and Meditation Foundation. They are in South LA. They are a nonprofit by donation yoga studio. And we serve an underserved population where it's not only a yoga desert, but it's a food desert. And 
And so we do a lot of community outreach programs where we do um, we, we do uh, seasonal festivals so that nearby um entrepreneurs have an opportunity to be a vendor to vend for um, just a donation and get their business out there or um, start their business and have a test market um, we do things like family yoga for you know the community where mom dad and the kids can come and do yoga and have that be part of uh, health and wellness for the family we do food drives we have a bunch of different things we're in schools we go to um, prisons we do trauma informed yoga oh my God, that's um, for incarcerated youth and um, adult people. So that organization is phenomenal. And I'm so, so blessed to have found them and be a part of that community. Yeah. I have been blessed to belong to an amazing yoga studio as well. Um, there's this area of downtown that there's like the home, a couple homeless shelters there and like, just the you know the streets are kind of run down it's not near like the commercial strip and the these investors bought like uh so there's old mills in this town i live lowell massachusetts so they bought a whole strip and they turned it into these like pretty high-end like shopping like local stuff but it's like very expensive stuff and so this amazing woman um jen howell started a yoga studio there and although the neighborhood started to be gentrified like she does this thing called karma cards where people at the studio buy like a monthly pass or a, just a drop-in pass and those are available so that anyone can come in and be like you know I'd like to practice but I want to use a karma card and they have buy donation classes too so I like that there's that opportunity for people where it's not financially accessible to them to come to yoga they can still come but I think that we could do a lot better and I think like sometimes you have to bring the yoga to the people instead of like expecting the people to go outside of like their usual routine and Absolutely. come up to this like place where people might be like questioning what are they doing here. Absolutely. There's a lot we have to do. Absolutely. It is. It, you do have to bring the yoga to the people and that's what a lot of our outreach um, efforts are about. You know, the studio, it, it was started by Raja Michelle who happens to be a white woman and um, so there's a little bit of questioning as to the person of the center and what her motives are and so she really enlists you know yogis of color um black hispanic um asian so that we can go into the community as the face of the studio because we practice there we work there i teach there twice a week um i emcee all of their events and so that people can feel, feel comfortable they can see themselves within the studio and come in and i know a lot of the things like for instance i work with the freedom schools in los angeles on the campus of usc you know and this is an opportunity for these kids it's a summer program to actually be on a college campus um and get that yoga um and we just have to be where they are we have to be on the campus of USC. That's where they're, that's where they are. We have to go into their schools, you know, we have to go into the different festivals and community events and provide yoga because, you know, people sometimes can't make it to the studio because of transportation or they don't have the means or they feel a little, uh, they feel shame that they can't, uh, pay because we have a suggested donation of 10 to $15 and some people can't even make that. Yeah, that's huge. And they feel shame that they can't even pay that. So we try to go out into the community where money is not even part of the discussion. And let's just do yoga. Let's just meditate, you know. And you've been taking this meditation course, right? What are you learning in that? And I'm learning so much. It's an Atma yoga 
meditation class. It's a teacher's uh, training uh, cer- certification program. Um, and I'm just gearing, I'm gearing up for my final examination. I'm just so excited to finally have this under my belt because I got this training through my um, yoga teacher training. But this is a more like specific, like detailed um, course on how to lead meditation for a variety of populations. And um, the one thing in talking to, because I'm originally from Detroit, the one thing in talking to my peers from back home um, that I've understood is that they really just have a, a small view of what yoga is. They think it's just the poses, the asanas, and it's the physical practice. And uh, through this teacher training, I'm I've been able to find the words to articulate to them exactly what yoga is. It's much more than that. There's focus, there's concentration, there's how how you conduct yourself in community. There's rituals for self-cleansing and self-grounding every day. You know, the, the whole eight limbs of yoga. And um, it's been quite exciting to have these discussions because, uh, you know, I, I have a lot of friends because of the lifestyle in the Midwest, you know, a lot of people aren't vegan, mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot of people. And because of the snow and the weather changes, um, outdoor activities or constant activity isn't something that's at the forefront of their minds. I mean, if it's raining outside, if it's snowing outside, you're indoors. And and I know because I live there when you're indoors, you're normally eating and um, maybe not the healthiest foods, the more comfort foods. And so just having these conversations about what yoga is and how to um, have that in the daily life um, has been really uh, rewarding for me because it's enlightening to them. And hopefully they're making the changes that they say they're making, you know what I mean, through our conversations. Definitely, yeah. I was a dancer as well. I'm still a dancer. Same tap, modern, ballet, jazz, hip-hop. Tap was my favorite, though. And uh, I started doing yoga. Same, like, just part of, like, getting more flexible. Also wanted to lose weight. Always wanted to lose weight. And after practicing yoga for, like, eight or nine years, I started taking psychedelics. It's like, four years ago. And I was like, wow, like, the the skills I cultivated in yoga really come into play in this kind of experience. And that's from there, like exercise and yoga, it was not like I would, Oh, I need exercise today. I'll go to yoga. It was just like, I need like to tap in to myself spiritually. Absolutely. And that's what yoga does for me as well. Um, And it's, it's, I'm so happy that you said that because I feel like in the Western world, yoga, sometimes you go into these studios and it's a competition. It's a physical competition. Mm, Especially Bikram's kind of. I know. It's like I can can touch my toes to my head or I can, you know what I mean? And it doesn't have to be about that. It has to be more I think in order to be fulfilling and to for something that's a lifestyle and not something that you just step outside to do um, and that's really what I want to that's what I want people to understand it's like yoga you could do it off the mat yoga off the mat is very very feasible you know it's just breath and meditation is not hard one inhalation and one exhalation is a breath cycle one breath cycle is a meditation and it's just that simple and you can call upon that no matter where you are you don't have to be in a class for that yeah right like our one of our yoga teachers says yoga is 24 hours a day like maybe one hour of that takes place on the mat but it's how you move through the world and I think that's what especially underserved communities would benefit from too like that goes beyond the practice of like how do you rise to meet challenges or pain you know stress management Mm. trauma management 
You know, there's a lot, especially in underserved populations where there's a there's poverty or a lack of education, uh, lack of access to healthy foods. There's a lot of trauma also, more so than not. I mean, there's trauma everywhere, but they don't have the access or the means to deal with that trauma. And it just becomes embedded in, in their DNA and they begin to identify with it. Um, and yoga is a way to uh, tap into that, especially in a community setting and to know that, no, you're not crazy. The things that are happening to you are real. Now, what are we going to do about that? You know, it's taking it out of the, the story and into action. Something you said made me think about, I don't know if this was in the group or something I heard in a smaller conversation, but the shamans, I guess, said like, fixing us is easy and it's like fixing their communities that's harder were you, were you there when that was said i don't know I, it sounds very profound but i don't think <laughs> i heard it from the shamans i've been thinking about that as well like what what is it that like our western problems and we all come from so many different backgrounds right but like if that's true like i'm wondering like what kinds of traumas or what kinds of ailments the shamans are having to help their like indigenous communities with mm-hmm yeah, I, I, I don't know what they're helping their indigenous communities with. I know that the stresses that are in these um, l- low income, uh, you know, n- not these in- these communities that don't have access to different things that we take for granted. A lot of the traumas are, um, you know, race based trauma. Um, there's a lot of sexual trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, there's just, and then the stresses around all of that are traumatic. I mean, people think about it, get traumatized daily based on just not having food to eat. And what does that do to the psyche? And if you're a family or a householder and you have children, what does that do to you? And how does that affect the children and the shame and the guilt and all of that stuff? So totally compounded, you know, definitely. So that those are the things that we deal with, it, uh, you know, at Green Tree and the, the yoga community that we serve. And those are very, very real things. You can't have somebody sit and meditate when their stomach is grumbling. You know, you can't have someone sit and meditate when they're addicted, you know, to some form of drug as a coping uh a coping mechanism, you know. And so we deal with real problems, but in a yogic way. You know, it introduced those principles to them bit by bit, you know, and um, allow them space to to air their stresses and their grievances and be heard. It's very important to hold space for a person because a lot of these people don't get heard. They don't even get seen. Forget yeah. heard. People don't want to see. Exactly. And so through our through our work, we we do we want to offer people a space where they feel like they're they see their reflection there they will be heard they they will be seen and they have a place that outside of their home they can come to and attune you know i feel like if anyone listening goes to a yoga studio or like has access to yoga like maybe they could go to their local yoga studio and ask like what are we doing for the underserved populations around here absolutely absolutely cuz they need it they need it. I mean, not I, I hate saying more than those of us who have access, but yeah, you know, because they're overlooked time and time and time again. 
you know, I can pay $25 for a yoga class, $25 for a yoga class for somebody who doesn't even have groceries or who's trying to decide between groceries and gas so they can go to work is not even on the table, you know. And so but you get in your own routine and in your own life and you don't think, well, this $25, I how come I don't see X, Y and Z population here? Nobody you just go to your class and you go go to work or you do what you need to do. Yeah. So if you do have a yoga studio in your in your neighborhood that you love, um, try and do some type of outreach program, even if it's just a day of community, have a community day at the yoga studio and invite um, people from underserved um, you know, communities, the population around you to come in and open your home open your yoga home to them I mean, it'll be it'll be so monumental for them it's su- it's such a small thing yeah but it's it's a huge thing for those who don't have access to it, who have always been curious but felt uncomfortable because they didn't see themselves there right right or have some other idea about it like that's not for me because x y and z exactly. totally and it's like these little shifts in consciousness that can make big changes in the long run if we all can get together on the same page and like absolutely and with the yoga body image uh, coalition um speaking about the populations it's It's like, you know, body image is such an important thing. You think yoga is a healthy place, you know, health and wellness. And we're all here to attune and breathe and meditate. But there's a lot of angst that goes into leggings and tank tops. And am I doing this right? And how does my body look in this shape? Mm -hmm. And so I'm grateful for them, you know, for standing up and saying, you know, you don't have to be stick thin to be a yogi. Because if you go on Instagram and you put in the word yoga, all you see are these stick thin white chicks doing these back bends and handstands. But what if you are 200 pounds, you're brown, and you're not sure that your butt looks good in leggings? Are you going to go to a yoga class? <laughs> you know what I mean? And so they create a space where everyone feels welcome, you know, moving beyond just the underserved. Okay, say maybe you do have the resources, but you have these body image things. Come do yoga. It's for you, too. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And then, like, people see you there and then they are like, okay, no, I like this is I feel as like a shorter, like larger person. I've always people always we say abundance a shorter person with abundance (laughs) with abundance nice nice yeah I like that oh yeah I don't know why I just said larger I'd gotten into saying a person of size but I know that there's some better words out there juicy abundant etc yes (laughs) yes um but yeah I I can't tell you as a dance teacher how many of my students said like you know that it made a difference to them having a teacher that didn't look like the dancer that you see in the movies or whatever and i'm like yeah you know you have to rock what you have that makes it that hits 10 people like that affects 10 people to think that they can rock what they're into absolutely and, and they see that, that they're able to yeah because they see you doing it yeah it's like, oh she's doing that i can do it <laughs> yeah so something i ask i don't know are you getting bitten by mosquitoes i'm getting like I have mosquito paranoia. I rubbed off like lotion this morning because <laughs> they had their way with me. So I was like, not today, not today. mosquitoes. <laughs> not today, jungle mosquitoes. I need to get a little more aggressive with my <laughs> off game, I guess. Well, something I ask everyone on the show is what's your consciousness hack? Like, how do you get up another level in, in your awareness? What do you do to tap in? I use I use mantras. I use recorded mantras. I had the opportunity to go to a two day um, 
Ayurveda convention at Loyola Marymount University. And um, I also had the opportunity to be selected as one of the people to work with um, the doctors that were there doing research. And they showed through um, a series of tests that we ran that day that mantras. Okay, let, let me back up. We all have energetic emanations. I don't know if that's too far off for your audience. Tell us about that. <laughs> so, you know, we all... Wait, you know what? Tell us about it. Yeah. Tell us about it. And then we'll... I'm getting called for my medical consulta- consultation. So well, this, I'll be back in a few. Okay. Well, this is a good place to stop if you want to stop and then pick it up another time. All right. Let's do that. Yeah. Okay. Okay. To be continued. Yes. Energetic. Auras. Ayurvedic <laughs> medicine. It's on. It's on. So where are your... Super women last left off. I know, in in the jungle. With the biting bugs. (laughs) So, yeah, uh, energetic emanation. So we have energy within our bodies, right? That makes our heart pump, our lungs um, expand, deflate. All of our involuntary uh, bodily functions are ran by energy, ATP, biochemistry, right? And so um, because we are porous beings, our skin is porous, um, that energy is just not encapsulated within us. It emanates through our skin, our pores and all that stuff. And it emanates at a certain distance. And so these doctors, um, who these Ayurvedic doctors in India have figured out a way to um, measure it. it. I can't go into the science of it, but they have these devices, electromagnetic devices, and once you place your DNA in the device, it's trained to you. And so they just back up from you until there's uh, interaction or interference, and then uh, basically that distance is your the distance of your energetic emanation, a, uh, i.e. your aura. Right. Oh, okay. Yeah. And so they um, did a bunch of test subjects and they figured that an aura of about two meters determines uh, good health, fit. Uh, you're uh, less likely to fall ill. Uh, you've got great organ functions, all that stuff. So the question is then, all right, we've measured aura. We know what a good, healthy aura is. How can you increase your aura if you're someone with a, uh, something that's lower than two meters, right? And so they did research and they found that mantras is a great way to increase your energetic emanation. And even if you don't understand what the mantra is saying, as long as you breathe and tune into the mantra, and that's why the Icaros in our ceremonies works, uh, because that's mantra, um, and our auras are expanded because of it. Um, and so I, my, my life hack, my spiritual hack, is constantly listening to mantras to increase, to boost my health, my energy, and that's just what I do. Can you tell, are, is, are they secret? My mantras? Well, you know, I'm Buddhist. I'm SGI Buddhist. So, what does um, that mean? Um, Soka Gakkai International, the value creation community. And so, um, mine is Namyo Horengekyo. I'm sure you've heard that I've before. I've never heard that. Namyo Horengekyo. So, I, um, I dedicate myself to the mystic laws of the universe through sound, through my mantra, Namyo Horengekyo. And so um, Daimoku is just Namyo Horengekyo over and over again, just that mantra over and over again. And then we do, um, we read the two chapters of the Lotus Sutra in the morning and in the evening, and that's mantra in its way. And so I do, I do my, um, 
yeah, I do gongyo and my daimoku. Daimoku is so powerful, especially when I'm feeling stressed, especially when there's like challenges that I need to decipher what to do next, what the next step is. Instead of just stepping off on my own mind and just taking erratic action um, and being very reactive, which I tend to be, sitting down and doing daimoku calms my mind and somehow it gives me the proper direction and I'm telling you there have been so many trials and tribulations in my life that after Daimoku seemed like nothing you know and it's I I hesitate to say it's magical because it's not it's quite scientific now you know but um, it's a tool that I use huh after the ceremonies, I've had the Icaros kind of like singing in me. They're like singing, not just in my head or in my memory, but like in my body kind of. I close my eyes. I sort of see the Shipibo designs when I'm, and it's, I've been thinking like, how, how is this possible? Like what's going on? And I do feel protected. I feel carried through and it's beyond my ability to understand. Absolutely. It's the mantra. It's the mantra and it's scientific. I, when they came to Loyola Marymount, I uh, was one of the subjects that they used to to um, demonstrate this. And I am the skeptic when it comes to shit like mm, this. Me too. I mean, like, it's like, okay, yeah, right. <laughs> you know, I shared my experiences about not really having a tangible experience during the ceremonies until, you know, one of the shaman actually blessed my, um, my drink. Yeah. And so, you know, I was so fortunate that they selected me and they measured my, my aura in, uh, at LMU and I was just shy. I was 1.8 meters. And they did the mantra. And it wasn't even five minutes. It wasn't even five minutes. And then they remeasured it. And it was like double the size. Oh. Yeah. So it's real. And it, and it doesn't take long. And I didn't understand what they were saying. I just closed my eyes. I, I you know, took nice, calming breaths. And I tried to... Um, you know, join myself with what they were saying, you know, catch that vibration. And it, yeah, it works. <laughs> Is there anything else you want to say before we close out? I've just enjoyed this experience in, in the Amazon jungle and I've learned so much. And, you know, you shared so much with the group and with me personally. And I'm just, I want to share my appreciation and gratitude for showing yourself so I could see you and for you seeing me. The pleasure was all mine. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. My pleasure. <laughs> oh, where, where can people find you? Oh, they can find me on Instagram at Chiomanuasu or at The Urban Samadhi. Um, I'm on uh, TheUrbanSamadhi.com and uh, Facebook also, Facebook and Twitter at Chiomanuasu. You got to check her out. There's a lot to see there, folks. <laughs> right, you're going to know what I mean when you see. <laughs> All right, let's go catch our flight. I know, right? <laughs> I've always, you know, I might be a little... Um, I don't know, dance or something, but I've always just thought like, of course it makes a sound, you know, just because, a, a, uh, it, because there are, in terms of the tree falling in the woods, that question, you know, because there are all of these other consciousnesses in the woods to hear that and feel that, not just a person, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I guess that begs that like, and it says, and no one is there to hear it. What if there is no, no consciousnesses there to hear it? Then does it make a sound? Mm. Mm. And you're not dense, by the way. <laughs> Thanks. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so how are you doing? 
Oh, I'm good. I'm feeling good. Um, just, you know, worked my job today and got home and ate some dinner and so yeah, kind of a kind of a typical day, but I have to say it's been as I said over email, it's been uh, pretty mellow getting back into my routine, so I've actually like enjoyed it more more than I thought that I would. I've even sort of realized like, wow, I've been really like anal at work and have been doing way too much work and stressing out too much. And so since we got back, um, you know, from our journey, I just, I've, I've had a different attitude and it's really been helpful. So <laughs> hopefully I can keep that rolling. <laughs> That's awesome. What's your job? I'm a librarian. Mm. Um, I'm a librarian at a, at a monastery. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. It's strange. It's strange, but I like it. Have you ever watched, um, a show from the nineties that was on Nickelodeon called all that? No. Well, there's this one skit. I think it was on all that and where people are in a library and they're like whispering and the librarian comes over and she goes, no talking in the library. Quiet. This is a library. And she yells at them. (laughs) (laughs) So it's like the smallest disturbance. She comes over and she makes this huge disturbance. (laughs) I think you should do that. No talking in the monastery. (laughs) This is a monastery. (laughs) Oh, That would be hilarious. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) See how, you know, how really Buddhist these people are. (laughs) Well, these people are Catholic. (laughs) Oh. oh. I only wish they were Buddhist, yes? (laughs) (laughs) Goodness. Well, that's a neat job. Yeah. It's uh, my, my favorite part about it is that it's like 10 minutes from my house and it's decent considering like I live in a very rural area where there's not a lot going on except for like factories basically so in terms of jobs you know <sighs> so how are you Leah how have, have you been doing I've been doing well um yeah I haven't had any I, I've had lots of pips lots of p- potential improvement points ah uh. <laughs> but but they've been like minor you know minor on the on the scale of I haven't really been too challenged yet. Uh, everything's been pretty smooth and that's, mm-hmm. it's good. And I was, yeah, I kind of like the week before I get my period, I sort of get us into a slump of energy and motivation and mood. Mm-hmm. And I feel that coming on. And um, so I pulled a card today <laughs> to ask about, I don't know, just like what's coming and am I going to be able to um, just um, melt like into the the routine of the farm here, or is it going to be a difficult transition? Because I just mm-hmm. you know I'm basically starting living here now, and um, the card I got was structure, was bone set structure. Ah, uh, interesting. <laughs> which was really good. That was just um, it's always what you need. But that one was especially. Uh, intelligent, I thought, because um, it's like, well, it's going to depend on if I use the structure of this to my advantage or not. And mm-hmm. I think structure is good for getting for getting me um, through tough times and, and staying on track with what I'm trying to do if there's some routine. And so that was good. 
Wow. Yeah. That's a very, um, very root chakra card. Yeah. It's like, um, getting, getting, you're kind of literally, you're on a farm. (laughs) So you're like rooting in place. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like we've already started the conversation. Shall we call the conversation started? Sure. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, cool. Welcome to the show. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. Ah, uh, yeah, I'm going, do you know I'm going to Vipassana in two weeks? No, I did not know that. Wow, in two weeks, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. And um, I've had thoughts of, well, maybe I shouldn't go. And that's interesting, because I didn't have those about the Cosmic Sister trip. I didn't have those <laughs> about Iboga, you know, all these like really challenging, intense things I've done. But um, for Vipassana, my ego is like, is squirming a little and really like speaking up about, Oh, it's not really the right time. Is it <laughs> so, like, yes, it is. <laughs> Have you done Vipassana before? Kind of. I've done a similar thing that was the same schedule, but it was only for eight days. And then I was with friends and they, we, one of them kind of cornered me two days before it finished and was like, we're going to leave. <laughs> and so I, I left with them. <laughs> <laughs> so have you done it no i i never have although i will say um that i've had like those moments of fear before every single <laughs> every single psychedelic psychedelic journey that i've taken mm-hmm. um even to the extent of like bad dreams and and you know nightmares and things coming up like just before i'm leaving and i always feel like um i even had a shaman one time tell me that that's normal <laughs> it's normal and that um she said her advice was go with how you felt when you first heard about it, you know, and when you first sort of felt called to it rather than the fears and doubts that sort of creep in later. So for what that's worth. Mm-hmm. That's helpful. Yeah. Well, um, I will stay and finish it. That's for sure. I can say that for sure. No matter how much I suffer, I will stay. Mm. How, how long? 10 days. 10 days. That's right. Okay. Wow, that's great. Yep. So yeah, um, would you tell us a little bit about how you got inspired to do this deck and and anything interesting from the process? Oh, sure. Um, Let's see. So I grew up with, first of all, I grew up out in the country and out just in a really old farmhouse in the woods of southern Indiana. And so I spent like lots of time as a kid just out in nature and I would do, I I have always loved plants and I would talk to them and make quote magical potions unquote um, out of, I would, (laughs) out of like, I would catch rainwater in cups and, you know, pick leaves and flowers and put them in the rainwater and soak it in the sun, you know, and, and then I would go and try to heal the bark of damaged trees with it and things. So I was very like, it was natural. And I think, you know, we all, I think all humans, I mean, no matter where we come from, we have ancestors who worked with plants as medicines. And so I think this is just innate knowledge in our DNA. It's in all of us. And because I was like, um, blessed really to, 
uh, be encouraged as a kid to go out into nature. I think that developed pretty early. So I had that going on. And then also, um, from an early age, my mom was very into divination. Um, she's like, a, you know, she was one of the original hippies <laughs> back in the day. And so she has all these cards and things. And so <clears throat> that was just a normal part of my childhood. And so, I don't know, it was like, maybe, I think it was like 10 years ago now, um, I really started to oh, work more with plants and get more interested in studying them in sort of a formal or a real quote unquote way. Um, and so at the same time, I just had this idea like, oh, wouldn't it be great to have, to be able to ask the plants questions, <laughs> you know, in the form of cards. Um, and I thought, oh, there's not really anything like that out there yet. Um, of course, now there are, I find, you know, several herbal decks out there. These days, it seems like it's growing. More people are having this idea, um, which is awesome. So anyway, that's kind of how the idea was seeded. And then uh -huh, uh, I see what you did there. <laughs> right. There are so many plant like metaphors and, and puns. It's a little, uh, little disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and then what was the other, you had another part of that question. Oh, did anything notable happen during the process? Um, ah. I, I like funny stories or moments of uh, desperation followed by inspiration and, Anything about the process of creating it? Oh, gosh. Um, how much time do we have? <laughs> <laughs> there were lots of things like that. Um, oh, my goodness. So the one that's coming to mind now, it, when you said desperation followed by inspiration, um, this this little story I actually wrote down in full and put it at the the front the in the beginning of the book that goes with the herbal healing deck. So you know, this will be sort of a truncated version, but folks can find it if they want to. Um, but basically, so I was studying out at Herb Farm, the tincture, famous tincture company out in Oregon. And I did, <clears throat> excuse me, I did a, a, their herbiculture internship there in the summer of 2010. And this was when I was really opening my heart uh, and my mind to plant spirits um, before I had sort of gone out there to learn the nuts and bolts of herbalism. And I ended up getting a whole lot more than I bargained for in the best of ways. Um, and so I, I was living in a house full of like 15 people and sharing a room. And I also had a tent, slept outdoors most night, most nights. And I'm an introvert. <laughs> and, um, you know, it had been kind of a long summer and I love people. Um, and I really loved the group of folks that I was with, but it was just a lot for me to always be around people. And so I'd sort of devised this plan to go for a hike by myself um, and search for a plant called Red Root. Oh, I know what that one is. <laughs> okay. Um, because I was really sort of enamored of this plant and, <clears throat> uh, and I thought that it was good physical medicine for me because I thought that I was dealing with, um, Epstein-Barr virus at the time. Um, and then that's a, you know, a remedy for that. So anyway, I was told, uh, one of our, you know, teachers basically said, oh yes, you can go to this place called 
Panther Gulch and look for these plants that are like near death, you know, and, and dig up the roots and, and, you know, scrape off the root bark and put it in a tincture and that's your medicine. I'm like, okay, I've been given my task. Um, and so I'm, I'm trying to find Panther Gulch. Um, I, you know, I, in my haste to sort of, um, go and do this by myself because I was one of the, the few people who had a car, um, who had driven out there. And so I really, ah, I was uncomfortable with, um, telling people that I really didn't want company at times because I didn't want to offend people. And I had a hard time, you know, conveying this in like a gentle, kind, loving way Mm -hmm. (laughs) or conveying it at all, you know? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) So I just kind of like squeaked out the back door and in the process forgot any sort of map or any, forgot to get directions completely. And so I stop at this little general store and I encounter this guy um, who's like kind of a wizard. He ends up being like super cool spiritual dude that I hung out with a few times, me and my friend, and learned a lot from him about plant spirits, actually, among other things. But that's kind of a side story. Anyway, he gives me directions to Panther Gulch. So I'm driving. My poor car is not making it. I'm like, it's up a, it's up a mountain. And so Anyway, uh, I feel like my car is going to overheat, so so I pull over, and um, I'm not even sure. There's no sign, you know, there's nothing there, and I don't even know whose property I'm on. I think it's a public land, but I'm really not certain, and I get out, and I start, I, I brought a trowel, <laughs> and because, you know, in Indiana, in the Midwest, it rains. Um, <laughs> It rains even in the summer and it's very humid and the soil stays pretty moist. But out there it hadn't rained for weeks and I hadn't, it had not occurred to me, little country bumpkin that I am, that like the soil was going to be as hard as a rock. So I'm trying to dig out this plant um, and like I start freaking out because it's not, I've already killed the plant. I've cut it off, you know, at the top and I'm trying to get its root out. And I can't, I can't do it. I'm not strong enough. And so I pour like my last drops of water from my water bottle. It's a blazing hot day. You know, I pour it in the hole thinking that that's going to moisten the soil. It doesn't, (laughs) you know, and at that moment I'm thinking, oh my gosh, you know, if I had just brought, like if I had brought someone else, if I had not been so closed off and, you know, been desperate for this time alone, if I had just been open to bringing some other people, probably we could have gotten it out together. Mm. <laughs> you know, or they would have had a tool or a knife or another bottle of water, or, or we could have figured it out. And in that moment, I just, you know, I realized that um, I, I have pushed people away sometimes and, you know, to my own detriment. And, um, so anyway, that was sort of my moment of desperation. I was crying and just feeling so guilty because taking, you know, killing a plant is a big deal for me. And so to, and, and then just to have it wasted was going to be such a tragedy. And so finally, um, so I'm digging, digging, digging and out comes in my little trowel, what looks like a giant bug. Um, and it turns out it's a scorpion (laughs) (laughs) and I've never seen one before in my life. Never seen one since. In fact, that's been the only time. And that's when the inspiration came and it hit me like, oh my goodness, this is a sign. Um, because Scorpio, scorpion is the symbol of Scorpio, one of them. And Scorpio is where, um, my lunar South node is in my astrological chart. And that's a, a point in your chart that can indicate, 
like um, past, you know, past life, if you're into that, or just past things that you're coming into this life with past issues, um, you know, past maybe traumas or past uh, sort of your, it's sort of your shadow side, right? Mm -hmm. And so I found that by um, have, you know, this plant, even just to get the medicine that I felt like I needed physically, I was really tested. And it was sort of this moment of like, oh, I think red root really helps us deal with the shadow side. Um, because it certainly made me confront mine on multiple levels before I even got there, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, having to ask for directions, having to talk to a stranger who ended up becoming a friend, um, and then going with the thought of like, I'm independent, I'm doing this alone, and then realizing, oh, you know, I need to connect more with human beings, really. Um, so that was a big, that was, uh, that was a big moment for me with that plan. And that's sort of the story of how that one ended up in the deck with the keywords shadow side. <laughs> well, that I told you that I had a story about the deck and it's actually about that card. Oh my gosh. All right. <laughs> but first I want to say that it's interesting too, because you were looking for medicine and mm. it sounds like that, ex that experience was the medicine. <laughs> <laughs> Truly. Yeah. Well, mm. the, First time I pulled the shadow side, the red root card was at the Cosmic Sister Retreat. And I was asking about um, what direction I should take in the ceremony because the night before I hadn't really gotten anywhere that I wanted to go. I came out very frustrated and I said, okay, how, how can I craft a better intention? Shadow side, okay, so I'm just going to ask, show me about my shadow. So that was what I... Mm. And um, there was no shadow to speak of that night. It was like absolute bliss. Uh, like, I was like, is this MDMA ayahuasca? Like, <laughs> I'm looking around to see if like everyone else feels amazing like me. And no, not couldn't really tell. But <laughs> and then uh, the second time I pulled a card uh, on the retreat. Oh, no, no, no. Um, the, the next time, the next time that I pulled a card, I asked um, how, like, what do I need to know to help me deal with loneliness on the farm? Because I think I'm going to be lonely. I'll be far away from my friends and my partners and my family. And so out comes the shadow side again. And I had shuffled uh. well. Okay. Huh. So that was, that was cool. Um, but the, the funniest thing is that I have kind of forced my mom, you know, via sh her still wanting to be active in my life and be a part of my life. I've sort of forced her into this world of all this divinatory and psychedelic and entheogenic things that are not part of her language. They're not part of her outlook on life. And so, um, there's been conflict in trying to uh, introduce some of these things to her. Um, but she had pulled a card a couple weeks ago or something when we were together, a tarot card. And so she understood what it was about. So she was over my house and we were talking and uh, we've, you know, we're working through some obstacles in our relationship and um, it just it kept occurring to me how children in, if you believe in reincarnation, children seem to challenge their parents in these really profound and almost like um, torturously specific mm. ways, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and that's definitely the case with us. Um, her, her biggest, the most 
scary thing she's ever gone through in her life was like her only cannabis experience. Ah. And that was with like a way overdose of hash cookies. Mm. So and yeah, she, I guess she had smoked some weed some other times, but that just really like really freaked her out. She, I think she has PTSD from it. Mm-hmm. Um, so as fate would have it, right. I would find psychedelics and make that my passion and my livelihood. <laughs> <laughs> so I was just thinking about that and, and then all the travel that I do and how that, you know, makes her afraid for my safety, even though she trusts, you know, my judgment more and more as I do more things. So I was just thinking about, about that. And, and I, while we were kind of arguing, I'm like, she really would benefit from looking at her shadow. Like I'm going to have her pull a card. I hope she doesn't get like a nice pretty card. That's going to tell her like, (laughs) you're doing the right thing. Keep going. Like, (laughs) I hope she gets something that teaches her like a lesson, like to look, I'm like, Oh, she should pull the shadow side card. And what do you know? She shuffles and shuffles and shuffles and she pulls the shadow card. Wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I was like, that was pretty cool. I got, I got goosebumps. It was awesome. Wow. How did she react? How did she take it? Well, I started freaking out and saying, I knew you were going to pull that card. <laughs> And then, and then I was like, do you believe me? And she's like, I do, I do. I believe you because you're like yelling. <laughs> and um, so we read about it and she was nodding and it, it concurred for her with the stuff she's read about how psychedelics are helpful, how they help you look at what you haven't wanted to look at. Mm. And so it was like, I think it was almost kind of like a safe way for her to, it was like a way that she was shown that she could safely look at her shadow, you know, without taking psychedelics. Mm. Like there are many ways to do this. Interesting. Wow. Wow. That's a great story. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. So I look forward to, gifting this deck to the very special witch that took me through my Iboga experience. Mm. And I am look forward to working it with it more on my path. Do you, I don't know, do you have anything else you want to share about it? Or um, I don't know, anything about yourself? Oh, and then also I like to ask people what their consciousness hack is. So like, what is the, what is your favorite way to connect with your consciousness or to deepen it or increase it? That's something I definitely want to hear before we finish, but anything else about the deck you want to share? Oh, and it, maybe talk about the illustrations with Ashley. That's pretty exactly. cool. <laughs> That's exactly. Lee, it's like you read my mind. <laughs> now I want to give a shout out to Ashley since she's not here in this conversation with us. Um, so Ashley, also has her very special connection with the plants. And she had this whole process of um, receiving a vision for each of the illustrations um, for each, each card, each plant. And so she would do a shamanic journey with a drum beat, listening to a drum beat and, um, you know, travel to the non-ordinary reality and meet with the plant spirit who would often give her specific, you know, instructions and healings and things. Um, And then she would get a vision. And so the idea when she started, you know, 
we sort of had this thing where I would email her the text I had written about a plant and then she would read it and then do her own journey and then, you know, email me back her finished illustration. And um, there were so many times that so many very cool synchronicities came up, parallels um, between what we both had experienced with the plant. And so um, a lot of times, many of her visions and experiences ended up in the text as well. So it was very much a collaborative process. Um, and she could, uh, yeah, so she can pull things out like crazy, um, you know, associations with plants that I thought were personal to me. Sometimes she would end up having a visual representation of that and my jaw would just fall open. So anyway, I just like to tell people that, um, you know, with these cards, I find that they have sort of a life and energy of their own. And that even if you never read the book, um, <laughs> it pains me to say that slightly as the writer of the book, right? But even if you never read the book, I think the cards themselves are healing. I mean, this is one of the ideas of the visionary art movement that, um, you know, that art can sort of transcend time and space and that it can um, really have an energy of its own that can be beneficial. So that was, that was Ashley's intention with the illustrations. So, so there's that. Um, and then in terms of consciousness hacks, <laughs> <laughs> I tell you, uh, the, you know, on the heels of our um, sort of discussion about how cannabis can be, you know, not uh, not a kind teacher at times, and definitely overwhelming um, for cer- at certain dosages and times for certain people. It's happened to me certainly plenty of times. But that being said, um, cannabis yoga <laughs> <laughs> is really like my my favorite thing, and, and um, oh, I find that I just am able to access things inside myself, like remember sometimes the most random things, a dream from three years ago, um, or, you know, just somehow things in my body that I've held on to, um, you know, in the form of stiffness or pain or whatever. Um, I, I find that I have a more conscious connection and I'm able to release them better when I imbibe cannabis before doing yoga and I'm able to go deeper with my breath and deeper into that meditation. So for me, that's really what does it. <laughs> that's, that's really what helps, um, helps me unwind from all of the stresses of life. Mm. I was thinking about doing that very thing tonight. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. So good. So good. So have you met, you're talking about plants having spirits. Have you met the spirit of cannabis before? Well, I don't, I don't know. I feel like yes. Um, yes and no. And this was um, something that I did ask about in my last um, ayahuasca ceremony uh, with Cosmic Sister. And for now, I'll just say that um I was not necessarily in dialogue with the spirit of cannabis. It was more, um, uh, you know, the spirit of tobacco that was that came to me and was really schooling me about all different sorts of plants and plant spirits. But one of the biggest messages I received was um, that less is more. That the less you um, take of a plant or the less you imbibe, the less often that you do it, the more powerful it becomes. And I found, and especially with these power plants, you know, tobacco, cannabis, 
um, you know, the big, the big ones that are very um, psychoactive. And I, I suddenly all sorts of different things clicked into place for me with that, because I was thinking, you know, about homeopathy, um, how, you know, homeopathic remedies are, are diluted to the extent of sometimes, you know, none of the plant material even being present. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet they affect major healing for people, flower essences, the same thing. Um, spirit dose of a plant or a drop dose of a tincture, that's a method that herbalists will use um, to meditate with the plant, just one drop on the tongue and then sitting with that plant. Um, and it, it truly does not work as well if you take a whole dropper full and sit with it, I have found. Um, so anyway, that really made a lot of sense to me. And so that was sort of my, my kernel of... <laughs> My little kernel of wisdom for myself, anyway, about cannabis was, hey, girl, you know, um, sort of if you reserve this for yoga and for meditative experiences and don't just smoke all day long, that you will get (laughs) that you will get more out of it. So that's that's what I intend to work on. (laughs) Is that what you do at the library? You just smoke all day long, (laughs) put books back? (laughs) I want to say I wish, <laughs> but no, I don't really wish that. Um, in fact, oh, this is a funny, a funny little story that I think you'll appreciate. Um, <clears throat> so it was, I guess, on Sunday I decided, okay, I'm going to have some cannabis oil, like not smoke, just have some of the oil, even though the dieta is not totally over, and do some yoga because I feel like my body needs it. So. And it was a great decision, I have to say. Um, I feel like I w- it really helped with integration and things. However, I took a, too big of a dose. <laughs> I'm not used to eating eating it, you know. Um, and I had sort of forgotten, like, whoa. And I'm I'm sure I'm a lot more sensitive now, anyway, from uh, the experience and from not doing it for weeks. And so I <laughs> I thought I gave myself like plenty of time. It was like the best yoga of my life, I have to say. But um, I still going to work the next day on Monday felt a little high <laughs> and it was not pleasant. And I thought, wow, you know, I, I totally got this. I'm fine. But, um, <laughs> just thought, wow, if these, these monks only knew, right. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing how you can be high the whole night sleeping and wake up still kind of high sometimes. Oh, it's been a long time, <laughs> long time <laughs> since that's happened to me. But holy cow, I uh, feel like I got a little bit of a. It was like an immediate. It's like a pip, right? Uh, an immediate lesson from cannabis. Like, hey, it's your first time, and you've already overdone it. <laughs> Just a reminder, you know, less is more. <laughs> Spirit dose next time. Yeah, totally. <laughs> well, thank you so much for this convo, Sarah. I really enjoyed it. Ah, thank you so much, Leah. So did I. It's great. Do you have a way for people to, do you want, like, do people follow you or is there a site for, there's not a site for the deck, right? Any, anything you want to plug? Oh, good. Okay. Tell us. Sure. Yeah. Um, People can go to um, herbalhealingdeck.com if they want to check that out. Um, And that's got like a few little blogs and articles and things. I've also got an herbalism blog, which honestly needs to be updated, but there's a lot of um, archives of articles. So that's moonflower, Sarah, Sarah with an H dot blogspot.com. 
And then I am most active right now on Instagram. And I, uh, I think we are at the herbal healing deck. I think there's a the in there. <laughs> okay. Um, so anyway, that's where like, I'm sort of most active and people can kind of keep up and follow and etc. We will send them there. Thank you so much. Awesome. Thank you, Leah. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. I thought that the most fitting way to wind us out of these conversations is to read you from the last journal entry I made at the temple after the final ayahuasca ceremony. This isn't all of it, but it's the part that feels right to share now. Um, should preface it by saying, in this final ceremony, I had a sense of being ready to go and go home and start applying all these things that I've learned, not just from that ceremony, but every ceremony and every experience, really being ready to like take it to the road and have practical opportunities to apply um, all the lessons. I feel a bit emotional, more so in body than mind, to recognize that my healing journey is going to shift. In fact, I was going to say is suspended, but I don't actually see it that way. I feel eager to be of more service to others. I think that that will best help myself. I learned about how to keep tabs on myself and stay connected to what's important while I was here. How to keep a pulse on my energy level when it comes to working with other people, depleting myself, especially for things that don't replete my energy, wasted energy. I'm also aware that it'll be harder to stuff feelings down now. I don't want to do it. I wasn't aware before of how much I did it. I feel like a better advocate for myself now. Superpowers are our problems until we learn how to understand and use them. My intuition was there all along. So that last part about my intuition is probably my favorite thing so far that I've taken home from this experience. And that is that I didn't have the same experiences that other people do. Um, people talk about seeing entities and feeling energy and the auras of others. And this was always so confusing to me to hear. And I thought, if I just look hard enough, if I'm just open enough, wow, I don't believe that those things are true. If I just believe that they are true, then I'll see them. And on this trip, I realized that intuition and introspection and openness can show us many different things. In fact, by virtue of having eyes and having a sensory system, your perspective is uniquely yours. And it's not something that anyone else can ever share. The closest way that we can share it is through language. And language is so limiting, especially my native language, the language I'm speaking to you in now, composed 70% of nouns, very materialistic language. It's not about action. It's not about energy or flow. So what I take home from this experience is that all along I've had a sense of what was real and what wasn't to me. And now I believe that I was right. And those, that is what is real. And what's not real is what's not real to me. And I trust that. So 
I hope that you can consider the possibility that until you realize what your superpower is and how to use it, that it will be a force in your life. And it's up to you to harness that force, to know it, to name it, to claim it, and do with it what you will. Thanks for tuning in to The Psychodologist. As always, you can find us on Facebook, The Psychodologist, or on the interwebs, www.thepsychodologist.com. Stay conscious.